Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. And uh, still feeling some pains after that Alabama game, and there's a lot of questions, too, about K.J. Jefferson. They're going to have to play Malik Hornsby. Is it going to be Cade Fortin? What about their chances of going on their true road game against Mississippi State? A lot of things going on with Arkansas, but not just Arkansas, but college football in general. And who better to talk more about that than Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports, who joins us on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Brandon, appreciate you joining us this afternoon, man. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Well, we're doing awesome, man. And I know you were there up in Fayetteville this past weekend for, for Arkansas and Alabama. And uh, there, there was a lot of storylines coming out of it. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on... Uh, that particular game in the current state of the Razorbacks and uh, kind of the situation they find themselves right now in? Well, uh, the, the, the big thing is that can you get K.J. Jefferson healthy? Because if you don't get him healthy for this game in Mississippi State, and I think you're seeing the, the line continue to moving in favor of Mississippi State. Things don't look very well for the Razorbacks being able to bounce back and win. You're looking at a potential three-game losing streak here, and then all of a sudden you're discussing kind of where does the season go from here. So I, I think it's important that, one, they get K.J. Jefferson healthy because he's obviously their best quarterback and best option because that offense changes quite a bit if he's not out there. And then secondly, you know, defensively, I liked what I saw at times from them against Alabama, but the, the, the general feel you get with this Razorbacks defense is they're going to give up three to four big plays a game. And it doesn't really matter who the opponent is. And they've got to find a way to weather that storm and kind of toughen up in the red zone and just not let things go over their head to a point where a 50-yard gain doesn't turn into a 75-yard gain and a touchdown. Um, when that field gets shorter, that's kind of when they're in a better situation. So they got to be bend, don't break. They can't just be break and break like they were against Alabama several times, especially, of course, in that uh, game-deciding fourth quarter when uh, they climbed back into it and then Alabama just exploded. How do you see the matchup happening with Mississippi State? Now, Arkansas's defense has had some success against them in the past where they'll bring three and drop eight. So they they seem to have a nice game plan going against them. But also you're talking about the possibility of K.J. Jefferson not playing in that game. And then you're looking at Kate Ford and Malik Hornsby possibly playing. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a situation where Mississippi State is going to be able to, one, get the yardage they want. But, again, keep everything in front of you. Don't let anything go over your head because that's been Arkansas's kind of M.O. Uh, defensively this season. Just don't let anything go over your head. You'll be okay. Keep everything in front of you at Mississippi State. They're going to put up yardage. It's just you can keep them off the scoreboard. And they've had some slow moments with that offense at Mississippi State. You put up a bunch of yardage, and the yardage doesn't necessarily match the point output. Um, they even struggle a little bit against Texas A&M. I know the, the final score doesn't necessarily show it, but you know, look what they did defensively in scoring touchdowns, but they also look early in the game when they should have been putting up more points in relation to how much they were driving the ball against the Aggies. So, um, and I would say this, too. Arkansas's defense is different from what it was last season. They lost so much from that defensive secondary. You kind of sat there and hoped that maybe they would improve from week one to week two to week three, et cetera. 
And that hasn't necessarily happened. And they've had to deal with injuries as well. And I think Arkansas's secondary is what it is right now. And, and that's to say, uh, simply put, it's, it's not great. Um, but that shouldn't be a reason why um, that they start losing games here. They can, they can do some things and tweak some things to put them in position to, to win some of these games against nationally ranked opponents. So when you bring up that point, which I do agree with you, but and as far as you know, covering up some of the deficiencies that they have, especially in the secondary, I mean, how do they do that? Is it more just offensively they control the clock and run the ball a lot more effectively and keeping the other offense off the field? Because it, it seems like it's easier said than done, especially when they're going to be going up against some teams that know how bad Arkansas is in that secondary. Yeah, you're certainly correct there. I don't think you try to slow things down too much per se, but you got to look at playing some different types of uh, coverage defenses to help them out, getting guys like Drew Sanders maybe even more involved to help out there uh, in coverage. Um, or maybe you go the other extreme and you start stacking things up and trying to go after the quarterback a little bit more often, being a little bit more aggressive to kind of disrupt things that way. There are several ways to go about it. Um, I, I'd be fascinated to see what they do. Um, especially going on the road in a road environment, really for the first time all season for Arkansas. I know they played in uh, Arlington, but that, that's a different environment. What they're going to face in Starkville with those cowbells. So um, I think this is a, a, a kind of a crucial moment for Arkansas and what this season is going to turn out to be because they, they lose here, whether it's KJ Jefferson out there or not, um, they, things can go south. But if you win, I think that puts Arkansas back on track, and there's a lot of things, uh, you know, still within reach of their of their goals. How's that Mississippi State defense match up against Arkansas's rushing attack? We know that that's the strength of the team. That's what they like to do. That's what they want to be able to do to control the game, and probably especially more so if uh, KJ isn't involved. But what do you think about Mississippi State and how their defense matches up? Yeah, they've been doing pretty well. You know, their rush defense in Mississippi State's kind of out in the middle of the pack in the SEC, if I recall. And, um, you know, for them, it's really just about trying to get some turnovers. Um, I think Arkansas, to win this game, has got to be able to throw the ball and throw it effectively and maybe throw it a little bit more often than what we've seen in recent games. Um, and that's a tough sell because, again, if KJ Jefferson's not playing, you're not going to want to do that. You want to tap a tuck into a shell a little bit and protect your backup quarterback, especially if it's Malik Hornsby, who we know has struggled in the past in throwing the ball. So this is a difficult thing to kind of plan for when you don't quite know, uh, potentially here, uh, who's going to be your starting quarterback on Saturday. Speaking with Brandon Marceau of 24-7 Sports here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Oddline. Uh, Brandon, just looking at some, some other teams in the SEC of notes and a team that actually Arkansas and both Mississippi State played. Mississippi State won. Arkansas, you felt like they should have won. But Texas A&M, what is the situation with them right now? Because I understand that uh, they, they got a lot of young talent there, but it certainly seems like there's a lot of people who are wondering how is this team looking as inept as they are, especially in some of these games where they expected to take some next steps? What do you make of the Aggie situation? Well, to me, it's as simple as this. Jimbo Fisher uh, needs to give up play calling duties. He needs to get with the time. He's about a decade behind everybody with his offense, and that's just not going to win a national championship 
in Aggie land. And that's the exact goal that they want to be able to have on their whiteboard every season. And they're not coming close to it these past two years. Um, and this was supposed to be the year for them where they would start that journey of being in serious contention. And they don't look like they're anywhere in that ballpark. In fact, I would say and argue that this team is worse than it was last season, even though it's more talented this season. And that's because of that offense primarily and Jimbo Fisher not being able to relinquish and relinquish control and get with the times. And he's going to need to do that. He's going to have to give up that clipboard, all those crazy plays he's got. Not crazy plays, but all the crazy play sheets he's got, getting, digging himself deep in there and give it up to someone, modernize that offense. He can't do it here in the middle of the season. I mean, he's throw away a year, but he better do it in the offseason. Otherwise, I think we'll be having this conversation for the next two to three years with the Aggies going, how is this team, with all these five stars and the best defensive line in maybe modern college football history as far as talent, how are they losing two games a year or three games a year or, heck, as we've seen, four or five games a year? It's because of that offense. They're, they're dead last in scoring offense in the SEC right now at 21.8 points per game. And that shouldn't be that. That shouldn't be the case right now. And that's because Jimbo Fisher is stubborn. And until he's not, then uh, we'll be talking about the same story over and over again with the Aggies. How much more patient is Texas A&M going to be with Jimbo uh, in the fact that they are on the hook for a lot of money, but they've been on the hook for a lot of money in the past with a guy like Kevin Sumlin, and then when you make the comparison as to far as how the team has performed this far into the guys' careers, they have identical records under Kevin Sumlin and Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, you know, and the argument there, you know, they have the exact same record, in fact, going into this week, but the interesting thing is, is that at this point in his career, Kevin Sumlin ended up winning five straight games after this, this moment. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's schedule is a little bit tougher than what Kevin Sumlin faced at that time. So it looks like someone will surpass him uh, in, in retrospect. But someone's front end of his career at Texas A&M was loaded with wins because he had Johnny Manziel, and then it kind of trailed off. The expectation is the exact opposite for Fisher, that he's going to build this thing up to where he's winning 9, 10, then 11, 12 games as it goes along, and he's just kind of been stagnant. He's got to get that going. As far as the patience, in Aggie land, listen, I think if they were to go like 500 this year and Jimbo Fisher tells the administration, hey, I'm not changing anything offensively. I'm not hiring an offensive coordinator. What we're doing here, I believe in. We're not changing it. That's what you hired me for. I think at that point, he puts himself in a very bad situation where we might be talking next year about him being on the hot seat and A&M just saying, hey, take all this money and get the hell out of here. Um, your stuff's not working. I can't believe we spent all this money on you. But I think it would have to be something like that, about 500 this season and him being completely stubborn and saying, I'm not making a change with my offense. Brandon, there are four teams left in the SEC that still have an undefeated record. Georgia and Alabama, hey, those are the best teams in the conference. They got That's programs. They've won national championships over the past two years. They've been really good. But you have two other undefeated teams with Tennessee and Ole Miss, which both have some quality wins. Some people are wondering if they're going to take those next steps. But between Tennessee and Ole Miss specifically, who are you buying more as far as them being that top-ten team right now? Well, I think it stands now both of them are top-ten worthy. But I think 
the one that has the best path right now is Ole Miss because, goodness gracious, uh, Tennessee is going to need to beat either Alabama twice or at least beat Georgia and then beat Alabama in the SEC championship game because Tennessee has both Alabama and Georgia on their regular season schedule. Of course, they get Alabama here in, in a week and a half uh, in Neyland, Neyland Stadium. Excuse me. So I, it, this is... <laughs> It, this is almost impossible. Even if Tennessee had a like top twenty-five defense when they get to say the midpoint of this season, which I know they have right now, but they haven't really faced an explosive, explosive offense. But when they face Kentucky and Georgia and Alabama coming up, and even to a certain extent South Carolina, those numbers are going to go down. And uh, I'm not so sold on Tennessee being a team that's going to be able to hold it together. Now, whereas with Ole Miss. Yes, they get Alabama, but it's in Oxford, and they don't have to play Georgia until potentially the SEC championship game. And so they don't have to face the top two teams in the SEC three times, like Tennessee potentially. They just have to do it twice. And um, But having said that, Ole Miss, I think, has got to find a way to be able to throw the ball a little bit more effectively um, and not necessarily be counting on luck. I, I hate to say luck. It's not luck, but they needed two big turnovers against Kentucky to beat Kentucky. Let's face it. Kentucky was really getting back into that and was kind of pounding the rock against them at times. And old, that worries me a little bit about Ole Miss, especially when they get on the road here in a little bit, and they play in some tight games. I, I'm not so sold on them. Tennessee, a little bit more explosive offensively. Maybe that could get them out of some, some headaches. And, for example, you saw that at Pitt earlier this season in overtime for them. So um, I think they're both worthy of the top ten, but in the end, Ole Miss will be ranked higher just because they don't have to face those top two teams three times potentially. Georgia at the beginning of the season looked like the best team, especially coming off a national championship. They've dropped back to number two over the past couple of weeks. Seems like they've been struggling a bit to kind of pull out some wins over Kent State and Missouri. What's going on with Georgia? Is it just a case of maybe kind of overlooking those past couple of opponents? I think it's a couple things. One, I think they're bored. I, I think they, they know they're better than everybody else practically when they go on the field. And then secondly, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries, especially at receivers, and that's why Stetson Bennett's numbers have gone down a little bit. The explosiveness of the offense has been going down a little bit. They've been a little bit stagnant at times. Um, and that defense has also been dealing with some injuries. And to add on to that, they've lost Jalen Carter here for a little bit with an MCL sprain, and he's by far their best defensive lineman on the team. And so they're dealing with some depth issues on both sides of the ball. And until they get that remedied, I, I think there's potential here where they might have to just fight and claw through some games, maybe for the next couple of weeks. But I still believe Georgia is very much worthy of being a top-two team. I actually kind of struggled still in dropping them from out of the number-one spot in my rankings, even though they have struggled the last two weeks, and especially last week against Mizzou, as we know. But when they turn it on, even with the injuries, they still got some depth, and they can just put you away. And that's what they did at Mizzou. They turned it on the fourth quarter they had to, and they got it done. But, um, you know, the good thing is, is they don't have to play Alabama right now, because if they did it, they would certainly lose, I think. 
Speaking with Brandon Marceau of 24-7 Sports here on the Jones and Sun Diamond and Bridal Fine Jewelry Hotline. Uh, Brandon, there's some other teams, too, the, of note in, in college football that uh, are at least maybe surprising some people with their nice starts. You have a, a team like a, a TCU, a UCLA, a Kansas, those teams being undefeated at this point in time. You have Syracuse, even Kansas State. I know they lost one game, but they've had some big wins, and they've jumped up into the top 25. Who would you say has been the most surprising team as far as them maybe not getting a lot of credit or them anybody thinking much of them, but they've been performing really well at a high level so far this year? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's UCLA um, because, one, they're undefeated, but, two, they beat a very good Washington team last week, and I know it was, quote-unquote, at home, but have you seen the home crowd with the Rose Bowl? There's like 30,000 people there, and it's quiet. Um, I've been sold on UCLA, but their big test is this week. They get Utah at home. Not a lot of people are talking about that game. I don't understand why. Maybe it's just because Utah has that one loss. But the Pac-12 can still get in the playoff here, even with a one-loss team. I think if Utah were to win out, or even potentially Oregon could win out, they could get into the college football playoff with a three or maybe a four seed, depending on what happens above them. And UCLA certainly is in that mix, too, as an undefeated team. But they've got to beat the likes of Utah this week and, of course, USC near the end of the season, um, and then potentially Oregon when they get to the Pac-12 championship. So some, some big games here for UCLA coming up. I think everybody's been very impressed with Kansas, and they've been getting the credit that they're due. They're finally in the top 25. TCU, how can you not ignore them? How can you ignore them, I should say, after what they did against OU this past week, winning 55-24? to um, and I can't wait for the TCU Kansas game. I'm going to it myself to go cover it. Uh, that is something where it's kind of like, show us what you got. Show us that you're for real. And, um, you know, TCU is the deeper team, more talented. Um, but Kansas has the better coaching right now and uh, the hottest coach when it comes to the coaching circles right now. So an intriguing matchup this week. I never thought I'd be saying that. I'd be going to. Lawrence, Kansas, in the midpoint of a college football season. But here we are. College football is crazy. I think many people were surprised by Wisconsin making a move with Paul Chris. What What is going on with Wisconsin? They've probably won quite a bit under Paul Chris over the time that he's been there. And kind of been a surprising move, a guy who is an alum at the school, they're ready to move on there. So, kind of, what's the thinking with Wisconsin? There's some. There was some concern there that had been bubbling for the last couple of years that he wasn't quite uh, dealing with things um, uh, on a full time basis there at Wisconsin. That he was up to the job, so to speak, and how it had changed over the last three to four years. One with the transfer portal and recruiting. Um, and maybe he wasn't necessarily focusing all of his time and energy or as much of his time as energy into the job as he should have. And so when these losses started to pile up, the recruiting's falling off, they, they saw they had to make a change. Compound that with the fact that, one, they're entering a new era here in the Big Ten where they're about to eliminate divisions. The days of getting by and winning the Big Ten West, which is by far the easiest side of that conference, those are going away. They're getting rid of divisions. You need someone who's going to go full bore ahead and get this done at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, if you look back in history right now, since 2014, the creation of the college football playoff, Wisconsin is by far the winningest program at number one 
without a playoff appearance. And guarantee you that doesn't set well with the administration there. They want to take that next step. You add that to Paul Chris just kind of being burned out, let's be honest, behind the scenes. To go along with these losses here in recent years, they're 14 and 10 since they lost to Illinois back in 2019 in the Big Ten. It's turning the wrong way, both on the field and off the field. They had to make a decision, and that decision was let's get rid of them and let's see if we can get in that Lance Leopold uh, sweepstakes because they're going to be battling Nebraska and potentially other suitors for him as the next head coach. Brandon, we appreciate it. We got to run. Great stuff. More Out of Bounds coming up next.